I said a moment ago, I truly am excited about us entering into a, a new study, the Gospel of Mark, studying to the side and entering into the Gospel-centered life. I know that it will be an encouragement to you and to the church. Um, I believe that we will grow as a result of our time in that series. But for this morning, we are in the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn it to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 20, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 21 to 25. Verses 21 to 25. Before we get into the reading, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard somebody tell a story, and as they're telling that story, they suddenly shift and they begin to tell another story? And you wonder, what has just happened? Did I miss something? Was there a transition piece that has just totally been missing? Some of you are thinking, well, I hear that all the time on Sunday morning. Today won't be much different then. But just as unexpectedly as they shift to another story, they suddenly and abruptly shift back to the original story. And you're thinking, what just happened? What is the connection between all of these things? Well, this is one of the gospel writers, Mark, this is one of his unique characteristics. He loves to swap back and forth, but it's not because he has some type of an attention disorder. No, he's actually using that as a literary device, in a rhetorical way. And what he's doing is he's underlining his main point by telling another story within that story, or maybe even a parable inside of a parable, if you will. He's tying them together in a, in a magnificent way. That's exactly what he's doing this morning. He's underlining his main point, and I'll go ahead and give you that. I'll give you the big idea for the sermon today, or for the text today, and that is this. Jesus is the light of the world, and what you do with that light determines your future. Jesus is the light of the world, and what you do with that light determines your future. We've talked about stories within stories and parables within, and within parables for a few weeks now. And so uh, that's the case for this morning. We turn to, uh, turn to this. Again, you might be uh, slipping into some meta-inception nightmare where you're thinking, like, really, like, what's reality? Where, on what level are we actually at? And so I want to back up just a little bit and give you some, uh, some, some identifiers of where we are on this path. And so halfway through chapter 3, Jesus calls up to the mountain that he's on his disciples. But not all of his disciples, some of his disciples, 12 to be exact. And he there names them and appoints them as apostles. And these would be the men that he had chosen and would, he would uniquely train to lead the church. It's quite an event, right? I mean, we, 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 we underlined that. We can't miss that. Like, he was doing something amazing. He was doing something that would create a ripple effect or a, 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 a gigantic wave throughout the decades that would affect even us today. When he appointed these 12 men as apostles. So this stirring of the people... It, there in, in Capernaum and in the mountains around it, it didn't just reach to uh, the surrounding villages or neighborhoods. It also reached up to Nazareth. It also reached out to Jerusalem. And there in Nazareth, the, the family of Jesus, his blood, they began to hear what's happening. And they felt the weight of what Jesus was doing. He had just appointed what? How many did you say? Twelve? That's odd. He's saying something by that. Oh, my goodness. 
He's about to get himself in some hot water. And so we know the story. What happens? His family, they leave this town, that town there, and they make their way down to Jesus. They're going to rescue him. They're going to rescue him because he said something that's going to get himself hurt. He's out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's saying from their perspective. They're thinking he might get himself hurt. He might get us hurt. Maybe even worse, he might even get mom hurt, Mary. And so they begin to head down to save Jesus, to rescue him. And in the language that Mark records here, they're going to find him. They're going to capture him. So that's the beginning of one of these sandwiches or so stories within a story. Then, then Mark, what does he do? Well, he swaps quickly in the middle of that story of, of Jesus' family coming to capture him. He swaps to telling about these men that were coming from Nazareth or from Jerusalem. Rather. They had also felt the effects, the rumbling in the earth, if you will. The ripples had met out to them. So they think we need to go and pass official judgment on this man, Jesus. So they get down there and they do. They hear him speak and they, they come out with the official uh, position of the scribes. And that is this. He has a demon. He's a liar. They declare. Jesus confronts these guys. And I, I love this story. I love that we spent so much time really looking at these uh, passages individually. But Jesus confronts them. He, he pulls them in, which is grace to them. And he warns them that they're in danger of committing a sin of which they cannot be forgiven. That sin is when the Holy Spirit demonstrates before your eyes that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he is the Word made flesh. And instead of accepting it, you reject it and you ignore it. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and draws you and you reject it. When he testifies and you push it away. This is important for us to remember this morning. The sin is almost like when light appears in darkness. It shows the path to walk on. It shows that you're on the wrong path. For whatever reason, you don't walk on that path. Mark beautifully finishes that section by telling us that what happened uh, to his family, right? He, he, it's the sandwich. It's the end of that first part about his family. And he points out there at the end of Mark chapter 3 that it's not his true family, or I'm sorry, it's not his beloved family, that is his true family. And that's something that we need to be reminded of. It's shocking. Those coming from Nazareth, those who Jesus had taken baths together and had all these stories about when he was a kid and they knew about mom's famous cooking and they went on the family trips together, all those people, they were not his true family. Mark clarifies for us. No, his true family was somebody different. And his true family wasn't, you would think, Maybe the guys coming from Jerusalem, the scribes, the, the religious elite, the ones who poured over and dedicated their lives to the study of God's word. You'd think it would be them. And yet Mark says it's neither one of those. But the true family, the true family of Jesus is those who do the will of the Father. That's chapter 3, verse 35. Jesus' true family are those who do the will of the Father. Who are in the kingdom? Those who do the the will of the Father. So that's the, the connection, chapter 3 to chapter 4. How do we enter the family? How do we enter the kingdom? Jesus, teach us about the kingdom. Teach us about salvation. That's where chapter 4 picks up. So we ask this question, what is the will of the Father? How do we become part of this family? And to that question which burdens the minds of those gathered around Jesus, there on that uh, Galilean hillside, 
those probably gathered here this morning, he begins to teach to them. He begins to teach in parables. Chapter 4, what we're uh, looking at now is, remember, it's a collection of teachings about Jesus' coming kingdom. And this morning, he begins to teach to us in parables. Now, remember, parables are a two-sided coin, as we saw last week. They're a word pictures, and they can bring clarification, but they can also be riddles which cause confusion for others. Those who are inside of the kingdom, what do they, what do they hear in a parable? Well, they hear the true meaning as they spend time with Jesus, the key, the light. More and more is revealed. Those outside of the kingdom, when they hear a parable, instead of being informed, instead of being encouraged, instead of being taught, they become frustrated and even more confused. More confused than they were just a minute ago. So in chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, Jesus is teaching us that there are four types of hearers in the crowd. Then we actually looked last week at the end, but there's really, of the four soils, there are two hearers. Three of them are really in the same camp. They're in the same boat. Those inside of Jesus' kingdom and those outside of Jesus' kingdom. For those inside the kingdom, what do they? They get an understanding of the parable of Jesus' teaching. And those outside, they're only confused. I'm going to take just a moment and tell you about a place that I have been, and I take things there regularly. It's called the Green Glass Door. Maybe you've heard of the Green Glass Door. There are some things that you can take into the green glass door, and there are some things that you can't. Let me give you an example. A kitten can pass through the green glass door, but a cat cannot. A puppy, they can go through the doors, but a dog cannot. A glass can, but a cup cannot. A tree can, but a leaf is unable. Do you know what can go through the green glass door? Do you understand the riddle? Some of you, know what I'm talking about. You get it. You're an insider in a way. Actually, it probably means that you've spent some time with young life or you're close to somebody that is in young life. That's my story. I'm going to leave that riddle to the side. I'm going to give you another one. It's just going to keep you locked in for the rest of the day. There was a farmer that had a field. In that field, there was no green glass door. The farmer, he had a field. And in that field, he had 30 cows and 28 chickens. How many did not? Now, if you know the answer to this, you can't answer it. If you talk to me about it, you can't. If you're on this side of the room, you cannot answer that. Let me ask you again. There, are, there was a farmer that had a field, and in that field, he had 30 cows and 28 chickens. How many did not? Does anybody know the answer to that riddle? Some of you, again, you're, you're already an insider. You know the answer. You're being informed by this. You're being instructed. It's becoming more clear. And there's a smirk on your face. Probably because you're one of my children and I told you at dinner yesterday. Does anybody have a, want to take a stab at that? There was a farmer that had a field. In that field, he had 30 cows and 28 chickens. How many did not? Okay. You're all insiders today. I'm going to give you the answer. There was a farmer that had a field. In that field, he had 30 cows and 20 of them ate chickens. How many did not? <laughs> 10. So you get it now. You got it. Okay, well then you get the prize. Which is, that's, you understand now that this is foolishness. So we're going to move on. <clears throat> so some would get the parable. Some would get the, the riddle, if you will. And some wouldn't. And that is exactly... What is happening in the parable of the soils? Some get it, some don't. 
Some don't. And what's interesting is, the key to the parable we saw last week is not a greater understanding. It's not a superior intellect. It's not extreme strength. But it all depends on one person. And that is Jesus. The disciples gathered around Jesus. They didn't understand. They didn't have a, a complete understanding of that parable that he was teaching them. And so they say, Jesus, tell us about this parable. What They ask him, what does it mean? And Jesus is the key to the parable. He explains it to them. One of the things, just I want to just park here for a moment and remind you of, we won't park, but just to remind you of, when Jesus sows the seed of the word, we looked at this last week, be prepared. There will be rejection. There will be falling away. But there will also be incredible fruit. And I think that's worth talking about again this week. Remember, just as a reminder, as, as members of Hagerstown Church, as Christians, bearing the, 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 the precious seed that, of the gospel that God has given to us, that's in our hearts, and hopefully on our lips, when we go forward, don't be discouraged. There will be falling away. There will be rejection. But listen, there will also be miraculous fruit. Just as there was in your own life when you heard the gospel and you respond. As we move forward from chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, on to the next passage, which is our focus for this morning, verses 21 to 25. There's some other things that come to light. If you remember, the first part of chapter 4 is Jesus teaching to the crowd. Then the next part, verses uh, 10 to 20, he's speaking privately with his disciples. Verses 21 to 25, he's actually back with the crowd. At least that's my speculation. It's not specifically stated, but he resumes his parabolic speech. He starts talking again in parables, and I think that's a hint that he's back on the side of the mountain, or at least the, the people are, and Jesus is in the boat. So uh, this is where I believe he's at. And so with this little bit of a background, we've kind of gotten back up to pace or up to speed on where... This particular passage is located. Let's, let's read it. So verses 21 to 25. It should be on the screen for you this morning. This is what the Word of God says. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless your word. We've asked this before this morning. We ask it again. We're utterly dependent on you. Jesus, you are the key to your teaching. You're the key to the parable. We pray that we would see you this morning. We pray as the light grows that we would respond to it, that we would step into the light, and we would see even more, and that we would grow in that light. We ask you to be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look at this first part of the big idea. First is this. Jesus is the light of the world. Look at verse 21. It says this. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Most often when we consider the parable of the lamp or one of the parables of the lamp not uh, being hidden, but instead being put on a lampstand as in Matthew 5, 
Uh, we begin to think that the light is the light of Jesus in the heart of the Christian. And we take the call to let the light shine so that the world can see. And, and as it says in Matthew 5, that we would then let that light shine and those around would see it and they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. And that's true. That's one use of that analogy or that picture or that parable. But that's not exactly what's being said here. This is a little bit different. Most of the time we think of that song, this little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. That's not exactly the context, okay? The parable of a light under a bushel in Mark chapter 4 is different than Matthew chapter 5. It's the same picture, but it's applied in a different way. That's the nature of the parable. Remember, it's the, the meaning is determined by the author. The meaning is determined by the one who holds the parable in their hand. And, and that may seem a little frustrating for you. If you're a very logical person, you might think, well, that's not very clean in my mind. If Jesus is going to use a story, it needs to have one particular meaning. Well, let me give you a parable. A parable is like a stick, a pointing stick. I can use that stick to point at a tree. I can also use that stick to point at a, a speaker or a TV or a musical instrument. I can point at you if I want to, even though that's rude, my mom said. But I can use that stick to, to do whatever I want with it. And that's what Jesus is doing. I can point... To, I can point to different things with that stick, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing. In Matthew chapter 5, he's using the parable um, of the, the light under a bushel, and he's pointing to something different than he's actually pointing to in Mark chapter 4. So I don't know if that's helpful for you, but we'll move on. Light is usually used in the Old Testament to point to God. It's usually uh, pointing to the Word of God. It illustrates truth or revelation or, or wisdom. If you look at Romans chapter 1, this is what it's speaking of. They, they denied it. They suppressed it. They hid it. They covered up the light that they saw. It was coming from God. They, they pushed it away. Psalm 19, similarly. Creation, creator, truths about them are being revealed and we cover them up. We suppress them. We step out of that light. We push it away. Gospel of Mark talks, and in chapter 1, it talks about that light. We see it in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is revelation. This is wisdom. This is truth that has come from God. John refers to his, this message of Jesus as light coming into the world. Chapter 1 of John. So the gospel is also this light. It's truth, it's wisdom, it's revelation come from God. It's good news that Jesus is spreading around concerning forgiveness in the kingdom of God. It's the testimony of the Holy Spirit shining into the hearts of those in the audience. This is what Mark is speaking of. Mark reports Jesus getting more specific about the land. He gives us some clues here. Follow with me in there in chapter 4, verse 21. Mark makes the lamp the subject of the sentence. That's important. It tells us something. I'm going to put a couple pieces here up for you guys to put together and then point and uh, clarify the identity of who the lamp is. Mark says the lamp, or lists out the lamp as the subject. That's important. He doesn't just make the lamp the subject, but he also gives it the definite article. In the Greek, it's the lamp. It's not just any lamp. It's the lamp. It's the lamp. So what we're talking about this morning, it's the focus, it's the subject, and it's the 
the lamb. And what's more, he, he makes reference to the lamb being brought in or, or coming in. It's more naturally, that word of, of, of being brought in is more naturally used of a person than some inanimate object. And so these three things uh, taken together would actually give us a, a, maybe a little bit of a, a different translation than what you see in your Bible. I think this might have, would have been another good way to say it. Does, this is the question. Does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under the bowl or under the bed? Does the lamp come in in order that it might be placed under the bowl or under the bed? This is weird, odd language to be using about a lamp because it's not a lamp. This is none other than Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, a lamp is a metaphor for God. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and many other places. It's also a, a reference, a lamp is a reference to a, God's Messiah. We see that in 2 Kings chapter 8 and Psalm 132. It's also light is used uh, to, to, to picture the Torah. We see that in Psalm 119, particularly verses 105, verse 105. Do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is God. He is the light. Jesus is the word. He is the light. Jesus is the lamp of God who has come in as the Word of God, bearing light and revelation, as we see in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to read that verse to you. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Over the centuries, in uh, excavations in Palestine, one of the most uh, consistent finds, one of the most common finds, is the common lamp. So this is a replica of one that uh, my wife and I were given when we spent some time in Israel last year. And so that's a, I'll leave that right there for you to look at it. If you won't break it, you can come up and look at it after the, after the service this morning. Um, but when the sun would set in Jesus' day, there were no light switches, there were no backup generators, there were no flashlights. And unless you had one of these babies right here, trimmed and filled with oil, there was really nothing that you could do, at least nothing safely or done well. The day was over. In a small house with an open floor plan, this little lamp can, can light up a room very, very well. I can attest to that. Upon re returning from Israel, Sarah and I decided we were going to spend some uh, unique uh, time of worship with our kids. And so uh, we, we got our Bible out, we got the souvenirs out, and we read, and we prayed, and we sang, and we gave gifts. And we actually did it by the light of this little guy right here. So that's why the wick is burnt. Um, this is quite a memory. What an impression on my uh, mind and heart. I hope that it was for our kids as well. And it's surprising how much light this little lamp can put out. Jesus, when you think of this lamp here, he is the light of the world. He is revealing the truth about God. He's revealing the truth about man. He's revealing the truth about sin, about judgment, about salvation. We could just stop and, and then read right now the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Literally just bask in the light that Jesus gives to us in those words. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. He's the light of God. That's the first part of the big idea this morning. The second part is also important. So let's spend a few moments looking at that. What you do with that light determines your future. 
Jesus is the light of the world, and what you do with that light determines your future. So let's look at a few options. What options are there uh, to do with this lamp? Well, first, as it says in our text this morning, there's the option of placing that light under a basket or under a bed, which, in other words, is to suppress it, is to block it out. And I would uh, warn you, children, I'm going to go ahead and put a disclaimer out. If you do uh, try to do some type of an experiment and you get a lamp like this with a flame, never put it under a basket. Baskets are flammable. Also, your bed, more than likely, is flammable. So don't attempt that. Just take my word for it. It's not a good option. Uh, but let's look at what, why would somebody actually want to do that proverbially? Why would somebody want to, to suppress the light of God? So talk about what it looks like first. To hide the light, to, to hide the lamp, is ultimately like a child who covers her eyes while kneeling in the corner, thinking they won't be seen during this epic game of hide and seek. You've seen it before. They kneel down. If you're a father or a mother, you've seen it, or an uncle or an aunt, you've seen it. They'll, they'll think early in their life that they can be hidden just by covering up their eyes, that maybe that makes them invisible. But the only thing that that does is actually make them blind. Literally, that's all that happens. They're still visible. They can still be seen, but they think they can't be. The only thing that changes is they can't see. When we suppress the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's all we are doing. We're not making ourselves disappear. We're not making something untrue. We are simply covering our eyes. We're simply blinding ourselves. But why would somebody want the light of Jesus in their life to be suppressed and to be covered up? Here's why. Two reasons. The glorious message of Jesus is often rejected for two reasons. Why? Because it's exclusive and offensive in its implications. It's exclusive and it's offensive. Let's first look for that this time. In any other way, you will be damned to hell for all eternity unless you place your faith in the message of Jesus Christ. In that light that has been shed in your heart, even this morning as we look at the text of God this morning, that's the light. This is the only way. What other methods or philosophies or lifestyle does that exclude? All of them. There is no other way. Do you, are you telling me this morning that all other world religions are wrong? Yes. There is an exclusivity to Christ. There is no other way to come to Him. And I don't say that with hate. I don't say that with disdain. The truth is the truth. This is what we have been revealed. This is the light that has been shed on us. There is no other way except through Jesus. Does that include yourself? Does that include your own righteousness? Of course it does. You are unable to come to God on your own. You cannot atone for your own sins. You're not enough, and you're on the wrong path if that's your thought. This is the message of Jesus. It's offensive. It's, it's, it's exclusive. But it's the truth. So when the light is revealed to us, we, we sense this offensiveness in a sense, and we sense this exclusivity. We have a choice to make. Are we, are we going to walk in that truth, or are we going to run from it? Are we going to, to, to shrink back into the, into the darkness? The Word of God says that some love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Some love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Some of you hear me right now. Maybe some of you that hear me that know somebody. You know that people reject Christ right out having never even heard his message. Knowing just a little bit about it. Maybe the, the rules and laws that come with being a Christian. They reject it. 
or because he's exclusive, the only way to God, the only path to salvation, he's rejected. You maybe you've rejected him this morning because of that. Because he's shed light on some sin in your life that you're not willing to let down. You're not willing to let go. And so in that moment, as the light shines on the sin in your heart, you suppress it and you walk away from it. Maybe you're there right now. My call to you this morning is to not suppress the light that is being shown into your heart and mind. This morning. <coughs> By the way, Christian, you need to realize this. That those around us, your neighbors, your co-workers, Many of them have made that decision. They've suppressed this little bit of light, this little bit of information that they know about Jesus Christ. They've separated themselves from it. They've suppressed it. And they don't even really know what they're rejecting. God has placed you there for such a time as this to enlighten them. Not in some weird new age way, but to share the light of the gospel that does, Matthew chapter 5, shine from your heart, Christian. So this is the call for us this morning. To shine that light to those around us, yes. It's also the call to receive the light that is shining on you. So the first option that we see this morning is to cover up that light, to put it under a basket, to put it under the bed, both of them literally unsafe options. But there's another option, and that is to put the light on, on a stand in the house and allow it to illuminate, to illuminate everything else there. Look back at verses 10 to 11. What is, what is, what's the command here? The command is to see and hear. To see and to hear. It's not a passing, nonchalant, uninterested sense. It's a focused, active posture. When we saw the parable of the seed. There were all of the soils. They heard the word, right? That was a quick and passing moment. They heard, in, literally, in the Greek, it says, well, in one ear and out the other. No, that's not true. But that's the, that's the meaning. It, it's not there. It doesn't stay. It just passes through. They hear it. There's no action. They hear it. There's no response other than rejection. But then that final soil, the good soil, it says that they heard the soil and it's in a different tense. It's an ongoing. It's in the present. It's continued action. It's a focused action. It's a focused listening. It's a focused hearing. Verse 25 warns us to, uh, to the degree that which you hear the parables the extent to which you allow the light to break upon you, that will determine the amount of your understanding. And so those who hear, those who knock until the door is open, will find the kingdom of God revealed to them. But in contrast, those who are in a hurry, those who are shallow, those who knock at the door of li uh, uh, for life only, only for just a moment, brief, well, they'll end up finding at the end of their life that that once cheerful invitation to enter into the kingdom has faded into a mirage of disbelief. And they don't believe it, even the light that they had at one point. You see that word given in verse 11. The giving of the kingdom. It links us directly. This is beautiful how Mark's done it. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it links us from verse 11 to verse 25. Mark's attention deficit disorder theory that's debunked. He's saying something there. What is he saying? To those to whom the mystery of the kingdom of God is given and Jesus will receive even greater capacity to enter. And on the other hand, those who fail to receive the mystery in Jesus will discover that even what he had will be taken from him. That reminds us that the understanding of the kingdom of God is not a human ability. It's a capacity created by Jesus Christ within the heart of a believer. 
this this phrase here, it, it calls for close attention. There is a human responsibility here. There's also the work of God at hand. And so parables in Jesus' teaching, they both release their meaning only to those who invest in humble meditation. And only by God's sovereign gift of insight will they see into the secrets of the kingdom of God. So putting the light on a stand is to meditate on the truth, to allow it to enlighten all other areas of your thinking. If we were to lose lights here this morning, and I thought about doing this illustration, but it didn't seem too safe and maybe even ultimately distracting. But if we were to turn all the lights off, where would we place this one source of light? Well, we could there's several places that we could put it. We could put it over here behind the speaker. We could put it underneath one of these uh, tables over here. We could put it underneath um, one of these uh, uh, one of the people who are sleeping in the room. Just kidding. Uh, that might be a little bit uh, entertaining. But we could put this in a, in a myriad of places. But what, what would be the best place to put it? We'd want to put it high. We'd want to put it up where it would shine light onto everything in the room. And to some degree, it would. And so much more the light of Jesus Christ. How much brighter, how much greater is this lamp that he's given to us? So putting the light on a stand is to meditate on the truths of the gospel, to allow it to enlighten all other areas of your thinking. And that's what happens. When we have this light of the gospel in our lives, we can hide it in our hearts somewhere in the recesses, or we can allow it, place it in a, put it in a location where it will shine light onto every area of our lives. I love the story of Zacchaeus. When he saw the light of Jesus shining uh, in his life, he responded in faith. What did he do? He repented of his sin. The light shone on his sin. He repented of it. What's more, a little bit of time goes by. We don't know exactly how much time. Maybe it was even just immediately, but still, the next thing, what happens? The light's placed higher in his, in his life, and he sees that the money that he stole needs to be given back. And at that point in time, I know that he was tempted to do this. I'm not going to do that. He pulls the light back out and he says, well, let's see what happens. And the light says, you stole that. You've, you've benefited from that. You should give it back. It's not the right thing. You, should, you shouldn't keep it. And so what does he do? That light that's shining in his heart, he doesn't suppress that light. Zacchaeus doesn't. What does he do? He gives into it. And more light is shown. When we see the light of Jesus, it informs us of what we need to change. Jesus' light shines in every resource or every a recess of our hearts. It shines on the way that we treat our spouse and our children. It shines on the way that we treat our timesheets at work, the way that we interact with our neighbors, the way that we spend our money, the way that we relax. It shines on all of these areas and more. And it, it provides information and steps that we should take. So Zacchaeus, what does he do? He takes a long look at the teaching of Jesus and lit up his life he chose illumination. He didn't choose to suppress that light. He chose to give into it. So my question for you this morning is this. What have you chosen? You say, well, I'm a Christian this morning. I've chosen the light. Let's, that's, that's great. Let's look at the text. What does it say? Are you suppressing that light or are you allowing it to illuminate your life? Have you chosen darkness or light? Or light? Here's the promise. It's staggering. It's a wonderful promise. It's also very scary. Look at verse 25. It says, for, the, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
book there. More will be given. The principle is illustrated in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. They invested their talents in what happened. They didn't hide it. They didn't suppress it. The light and the sense that they've been given, they invested it, and they got a return. What about the, the minas there in Luke chapter 19? A similar response. It's a very biblical idea. Let me tell you a story quickly before I move on. This isn't my story. I stole it. <clears throat> the light is shining. I should give it back. <laughs> when Jack turned 21, he decided to start investing $200 a month every year for nine years. At the age of 30, he decided to stop investing altogether, but his friend Blake started a little later. He began investing $200 a month every month starting at age 30. And so all the way up until the ripe old age of 67. And at 67, he stopped giving into his investment. Who do you think had more money? Jack began at 21 and for nine years gave $200 a month. Blake started when, when Jack ended and he gave it for a total of, I think of 30, is that 36 years, 37. What do you think was the end result? What do you think was the end of it? Who had more money? Some say the second. The first man is the answer. At the end of the nine years, Jack invested $21,000. Actually, $21,600. And he ended up with $2.5 million. After nine years of investing, a total of basically $22,000, he ended with $2.5 million. That's the power of con compound interest. Jack's friend Blake, he invested $91,000. That's nothing to scoff at. That's a great amount of money. For over 37 years, at the age of 67, he had built up $1.4 million. The same interest rate, the same return. He never was able to catch up with Jack. Why? Because early on in Jack's life, he learned the power of compound interest. How did he do it? He didn't invest near as, nearly as much as Blake did, and yet he received so much more. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not necessarily investing your money. Some of you are, uh, you, maybe I shouldn't use that illustration. You've tuned me out and you're checking your 401k right now. And, uh, you're increasing that. Uh, I think that's a great thing to do, but not right now. But here's the point. As early as possible, we respond to the light that has been shown into our hearts. And what happens? There is a compounding effect. Jesus says it so clearly here, that more will be added to you. God will take up the residence in the heart of the Christian, of the believer, of the one who gives into this light, and he will give an increased understanding, increased blessing, both in his life now and in his life to come. The warning is also true. When you do not act on the light that is given to you, that light what light you have will be taken from you. Because there's a third man in that illustration. You have these two young men, but then you also have a third. And it's a man who had a little bit of money and he didn't invest any. And what happened at the end of his life? What he had was taken from him. Sounds like the parable of the sower that we read just, a, just last week. Particularly the soil along the path. It, it has the seed sown on top of it, but it doesn't pay much attention to it. And then the seed that it does have is taken away by Satan, by the birds 
they swoop in and take the seed. This is the, the most terrifying thing that we hear this morning. May that not be said of anybody gathered here this morning, under the sound of my voice in our presence this morning, that what they had, the light that they had, was actually taken from them. Quickly, I want to go back to verse number 22. It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Here's what that verse is saying. There was a little time before, there had been, not a little, there had been quite a bit of time before Jesus had come into the world. There was a time when there was very little light. The hope of the gospel was so distant and it didn't shine as bright as it did at this exact moment. But now is the right time for Jesus to be revealed. It's the idea of almost like a birthday party, right? Mom and dad, they planned the party. It's a secret. Nobody knows about it. The day is set. It's coming. On that day, the light will be revealed, and we will have banners and, and balloons and even presents. But for now, all of those things are hidden. They're not for us to see. The presents are under the bed. They're in the basket. But when the day comes, it's time to pull all of those things out. It's time for them to be revealed. The party, the presents. It was a secret at one point in time, but now it is, it is openly revealed. Presence will soon be presented. Jesus speaking of himself when he says that there was a time when in a sense the light of the gospel was in a sense hidden. But now it has been revealed. To who? To those in Jesus' presence that very moment they were hearing and seeing the kingdom of God break in. The party was beginning and the presents were being passed out. When is that day for you? Listen, that day is today. The day is today. And so ask yourself, what have you done with the message of Jesus? In other words, let me ask, ask it a slightly different way. What are you doing with the light of the gospel of Jesus? Before we close, I want to enter into a time of just practical encouragement for you. So how do you listen how do, you, how do you truly listen to what Jesus is saying? By the way, it's not a one-time act. It's not something that we do when we're seven years old at the end of an invitation during vacation Bible school. We make one decision, we hear what is said, and then we go on about our way doing whatever. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. That's just the beginning. That's just the start of the party. How do we continue to live our lives as Christians? Or how do we even begin that moment? Let me give you some practical examples. The first is this. Prepare. Taking notes, this would be a great thing to write down. Prepare. On Sunday mornings, or whenever you open the Word of God and light spills out, I would hope that you have prepared yourself. In regards to Sunday mornings, just being here is not enough. When you come to church on Sunday morning, you gather with the saints of God and we open the Word of God, I would encourage you to come rested. Drink plenty of good coffee. Get up early if you can. Get, get your clothes on. Walk down the hallway as if it's the Lord's day and you can't get that smile off your face. You're ready to receive the word of God. Be prepared. Be ready. Come here ready to receive the word of God as we prayed a moment ago. Another way to be prepared is not just on Sunday morning, but also be prepared to hear from God as you read his word regularly on a daily basis. Currently, we're working our way through Mark. What would it look like for you to spend a few minutes and during the week, before Sunday, prayerfully considering what the next passage is. Asking God, God, open my eyes that I may see the wondrous truths here in your word. Pray that prayer. 
Pray that prayer on Sunday morning as we gather, as we sing the songs of the saints. Pray that prayer in your heart that God would open your eyes and you would see. As you read the, the F-260 reading plan, as you spend time in the Word, whether you're 5 years old or 75 years old, ask God to prepare your heart to hear what He's about to say to you. So number one, how do we hear when we prepare ourselves? Another way that we can actively hear is to attend. In other words, be here. In regards to Sunday morning, be here. We don't have an attendance policy. This isn't like college. But I will tell you this. There is a direct correlation between attendance and your grade at the end of the semester in college. Is there not? Some of you can say amen to that. There's a connection. You might say, well, they don't take attendance at church. There's no attendance policy. I won't get, I won't get kicked out. Well, you might. But even before that, recognize this, that your understanding, the illumination of the gospel of God in the life of the Christian is only going to increase as our attendance does. If we get, in a sense, under the spout where the water comes out, right? There's the old Baptist pastor. A farmer, what does he do? He plants the seeds in the field. He doesn't plant in the barn. Why? Well, he can't control the rain. He can't make it rain on certain days, but what he can do is place the seed where it does rain. And every day that the seeds are in the soil where the water is going to come down at one point in time, it's a better day and a better chance of hearing so be prepared, but also attend. And in a sense, that, that encouragement for you to attend is not just to attend church on Sunday. But there's other things. Life groups, e groups, attending your personal appointment with God on a regular basis that you're going to hear from His Word. Maybe it's 6.30 in the morning as the sun is rising. Maybe it's right before you go to bed. Whatever it is, midday. Attend that time, that meeting with God on a daily basis. Now that I don't challenge you in some way that would bring guilt to you, but I'm encouraging you to see the grace at the table. Another way, practically, is to take notes. So in regards to Sunday morning, I would just encourage you, it's proven that when you engage in any uh, form of instruction with note-taking, whether it be a lecture or a sermon, your retention, your comprehension will only increase. It will only get better. Say, well, it's difficult to remember. It's difficult to focus, and I will agree. I understand. I can hear babies crying and talking, and, but I know this, that a notebook on your lap next to the Word of God and a pen in your hand is going to lock you and it's going to bring you in in a greater way than those things not. So I challenge you, take notes. But don't just take notes on Sunday morning. A great discipline in the life of a Christian is to, is to journal throughout the week. Some of you are shaking your head. You're saying, ah, God has given me so much grace through that. As I take notes, as I read his word, both on, on, on the Lord's day and throughout the week. It's a great practice. So just practically speaking, how do you continue to hear? How do you continue to listen? Take notes. Be here. Be prepared. Take notes. And not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. And lastly, in this area of, of uh, how do we listen? How do we do better? Well, here's another way. Those who review their notes within 24 hours of, of taking them will retain or, or increase their understanding and bring it to another higher level. So it's a point, it's a fact, proven. That when you review your notes, some point after you've received them or made them, your comprehension is only going to increase. And one of the ways that I do this in my own life is, is by attending life group. It's by attending life group. Our, my life group meets on Sunday afternoons, and it's wildly helpful in refreshing me on both the text and then also how the Lord is leading me to apply this text in my life and in the context of, of that I live in. 
It's a wonderful opportunity for me. And I would encourage, I would, I would encourage you, if you're not in a life group, uh, find one. You can, you can fill out a connect card again on, the, on your way out. Let us know that you would be interested in joining a life group because you want to take this into a deeper level. And in the same way, as you journal throughout the week, as you hear from God, you've prayed, you've asked for Him to speak to you through His Word that day. And you go in faith and you listen and you read that Word and you begin to journal and you, you feel like He's speaking to you. He's pointing things out to you. Some things are coming to light. More light is coming. More light is coming. And you write it down and then what do you do? You forget about it and you never look at it again. Don't do that. Review. Review that. The notes that you take on Sundays, the notes that you take throughout the week in your journal, review them. So that was a, this is a really quick uh, foray or, 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 or branching off into some application. Let me jump back into the main part of the sermon and, and, and actually bring it to a close. I said this just a moment ago. Today is the day. Surprise has been revealed. The light is shining. It's shown on you. And the question is, what will you do with that light? Today is the day of salvation. What's your response? What's your answer to Jesus, the light of the world? Here we are again. The, the house is dark. There's danger and confusion. In comes the light, though. The ability to see over what we stumble, which is the way to forgiveness. What will you do with it? Will you throw it out like the Pharisees? Will you hide it like the family did? Will you suppress it? You, or will you set it on its stand so that it can illuminate the world around you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a liar? Backing up a few weeks in. Is this candle going to be set out of your house? You're going to forget about it? Is he a madman? Are you going to set it under the bed and ignore him? While keeping him close? Or will you recognize his light as that of the Lord himself? Will you set him on a stand and allow him to enlighten the entire house and let him guide your steps? If you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm so very glad that you're here. And I beg you to sincerely consider the person of Jesus Christ. And don't just cancel him. Don't just ignore what he has to say. Say Instead of writing him off as some irrelevant or offensive person in history, will you consider truly his message? I want to leave you with this quote this morning. By C.S. Lewis. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. My friends, this morning, I believe in Jesus because I can see him. But I don't just believe in him because I can see him. I believe in him because by him, I can see everything else so much more clearly. Church, Jesus is the light of the world. And what you do with that light determines your future. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the word that you've given us this morning through your text. Father, in faith, I believe that you are growing your church, you're encouraging us. Father, to the one this morning who has suppressed that truth, and they put it under a basket, they put it under a bushel, they set it outside of the house, they've written you off, they've written this light, they're showing their hearts off. We pray that they would take that light, and they would put it on a lampstand, and that they would truly meditate on it. And that you would give the increase in their life. This is a prayer that we have in our lives each day.